What role do colleges and universities play in building an anti-racist future? This podcast series, Building the Anti-Racist College and University, seeks to begin examining this question. Through interviews with administrators, faculty, researchers, policy experts, historians, and students, each episode in this series examines one important piece of beginning to conceptualize anti-racist colleges and universities of the present and future. This series was produced as part of a term project during fall 2020 for Higher Education Leadership 7372, Diversity and Culture in Higher Education at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas, United States. The foundation for this project was Ibram Kendi's 2019 text, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Each student in the course designed one episode seeking to unpack, question, problematize, or dissect a particular area related to building anti-racist colleges and universities. The series in no way is exhaustive, prescriptive, or capable of answering every question. But collectively, the series adds to an ongoing conversation in higher education about anti-racist futures. We hope it inspires dialogue, reflection, engagement, and action on colleges and universities in the United States and around the world. We hope it inspires ongoing work, research, activism, policy, local, regional, national, and international action. We hope it brings us one step closer to an anti-racist future in post-secondary education. This episode is Cultural Appropriation. listening in on this podcast created by my doctoral cohort for our diversity and culture course of the educational leadership doctoral program at Sam Houston State University. I'm Laura Cardiel. In this episode, I reflect on conversations with several guests about culture, cultural appropriation, and cultural appreciation. Join me as I grapple with defining these terms, discuss how they are enacted, and take a deep dive into what culture actually is. A couple of months ago, I was scrolling mindlessly through Facebook and came across a cartoon graphic of a white woman with her blonde hair braided in what I've heard described as cornrows and a black woman with her hair straight and dyed blonde. In a quote bubble, the black woman is saying to the white woman, my culture is not your hairstyle. I knew this graphic was referring to cultural appropriation. My initial reaction was, hmm, that's an interesting point. I can recall at least a couple of instances in which I saw a woman who I perceived to be white rocking dreadlocks or cornrows, hairstyles that in my mind originated in African American culture. And that made me think more negatively of the white women for trying to pull off a look of a culture that, again, in my mind, doesn't belong to them. Some other examples of behavior I consider as cultural appropriation are Mexican-themed parties hosted by all or majority white people white people wearing blackface on Halloween or really any other day of their life, or wearing traditional Japanese kimonos or other traditional cultural dress to prom or an event of that nature. 
However, I then thought about examples of instances when people I idolized or admired enacted behaviors that could be considered cultural appropriation, but that I excused as appreciation for one reason or another. A couple of examples include Gwen Stefani's use of Harajuku girls as a central theme of a whole album, practically, and Eminem reaching his fame as a music artist in the hip-hop industry. To me, it was more like Gwen was giving Harajuku culture a platform and a chance to be in the spotlight, and Eminem was, and is still, an amazing rapper to me. He's using his talent with words, rhythm, and rhyme. These are the reasons the distinction between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation seems so blurred and messy to me, and why I chose to address them here. In this episode, I'm going to take you all with me on my journey to unpack the complexities of cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. I held interviews with six individuals to discuss their definitions of cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, their experiences with each, and their recommendations for avoiding appropriation and fostering appreciation. Throughout my grappling session, you will hear quotes and clips from those interviews that either affirm or challenge my train of thought. I decided to create a foundation for this process by starting out with definitions for the key terms, culture, appropriation, and appreciation. Using the definitions in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, Culture refers to the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or social group. Appropriation is to take exclusive possession of or to make use of without authority or right. Therefore, cultural appropriation can be understood as the act of taking or making use of cultural elements without authority or right. But I think this requires some further exploration in order to fully understand. For starters, how does one know to what culture they belong or what culture belongs to them? During my interviews, the appropriation piece of my guest's definitions reflected the essence of the dictionary definition. However, the cultural belonging piece varied greatly because there were differing perspectives of what type of culture is referenced when discussing cultural appropriation. For some, cultural belonging was defined in terms of race or ethnicity. My guest Luke said, In its simplest form, is someone that's white that, that, that takes on uh, attributes attributed to the culture of Black people. Now, Gabriela had a different perspective. She said, the first probably definition that uh, comes to mind, it's more of a um, theoretical book-based definition, which is when um, somebody, a group from a dominant culture um, takes symbols, values, expressions, um, ways of dressing, ways, ways of, um, I don't know, like uh, even, even meals and food and takes them uh, from a minoritized group, whichever that would be, and takes them as own, you know, the dominant uh, group. And not acknowledging that the origin of whatever um, they appropriate it um, is precisely from another culture. 
Luke spoke about culture in terms of black and white racial groups. Gabriela spoke of culture more generally in terms of dominant and minoritized groups. Each of these conversations took very different directions and both gave me a new perspective to consider. Three of my guests, Luke, Amber, and Chris, spoke with me as a group, each providing their own perspective on things. Amber agreed with Luke regarding culture in terms of cultural appropriation as a black culture versus white culture issue, explaining that because of the history between black people and white people in the United States, it's been ingrained in us that the primary racial conflict is black versus white. Amber further explained this dynamic. First, um, white people took us, or took our ancestors, enslaved them, and then set them free with nothing. It's free, in quotation marks. Um, and then we made something of what we did not, we were not given. So then for them, those same people to come back and try to take again, it's just like another step. Now, I want to go back to Gabriela's more inclusive definition of the cultural divide embedded in cultural appropriation. Gabriela described this as a divide between dominant and minoritized groups. This language and the notion of a divide between dominant and minoritized or privileged and oppressed cultural groups came up in every single interview. When my guests used these terms to describe appropriation, it was always in terms of a person of a majority group appropriating the culture of a minority group. My takeaway from the cartoon graphic I described earlier that inspired me to address this topic was that there is some irony or maybe even hypocrisy when a person of a minoritized or oppressed culture takes on traits of people from the majority culture. Chris brought up another diversity identity when he defined cultural appropriation. He said, Oh no, it depends because there's so many different ways of uh, like cultural appreciation, like appropriation, such as like your religion, artifacts, um, different stuff like that, you know what I mean? Because most of my guests referred to cultural appropriation in terms of racial or ethnic groups, I asked them how a person from a minority racial or ethnic group could appropriate the culture of a majority group. One guest who requested to remain anonymous is a member of a nationally minoritized racial group, but this racial group was the majority in the town where she grew up. She explained that in that circumstance, white people in the area grew up in black culture, so that was all they knew. The way they spoke, dressed, and interacted with others reflected Black culture. This example made me reframe my perspective of majority and minority racial or ethnic groups. We often speak of majority and minority on a national level, with white being the majority and all other race and ethnic identities being minorities. This generalization neglects to acknowledge the experience of white people who grow up in areas where the majority racial or ethnic population is a nationally minoritized population. A few of my guests address this dynamic in our conversations. Luke said, There are people who white um, who, may, who may have grown up in the in quote hood. Um, mm-hmm. And that may be the only sense of culture that they know and understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the unfortunate that they don't fit in with people, uh, <laughs> they don't fit in with people whom are like skin. 
Yeah. You know, and I think honestly and truly, uh, that's just simply a burden that they all have to carry. I carry the, the in quote, burden of being black every day. So it, it's just something, it's the burden that they all have to carry because that's the only thing that they've been exposed to. Luke's statement about white people who grow up in black culture and enact black culture being unfortunate to not fit in with other white people and to have to carry what he refers to as the burden of being black opened up more questions for me. The most puzzling question is if a person grows up submersed in a particular culture and practices characteristics of that culture their whole life, do they have a right to claim that culture as their own? Or is culture solely defined by the historical culture in the person's family? My guests' perspectives were complex and powerful. Gabriela reflected on a personal realization. I was thinking about this a couple of days ago <laughs> because <laughs> I always, you know, have this views about Christmas, for example, like, okay. and, and I love to decorate for Christmas and I love to have the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking, okay, like, why am I, you know, like, I have my own um, notebook with recipes for Christmas. I, I mm -hmm. you know, I have the boxes with the Christmas ornaments, this, this and that. And I was looking into the web about, you know, like, oh, I, I, this year I'm going to buy this little thing and this. And I was thinking, sweetheart, you are buying tote. And I was like, oh, and I'm going to buy this and I'm going to put this. And it's like, you know, the plate stuff with the red colors and this and that. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I was like, whoa. Like, how not genuine is that to mm. me? Gabriela spoke from the Latina perspective of internalizing the culture of the majority. She questioned why she chooses to practice elements of the culture of the majority over her own cultural practices. Although Gabriela recognizes that she has internalized the culture of white people, Dana, a guest who self-identifies as white, struggled to identify cultural characteristics that she believes can be claimed as white culture. Like, I wouldn't identify some of these things as being white cultural. I would identify them as being Midwestern or Catholic, mm -hmm. some other, like, identity. And I don't know if it's because there's no aspect of white culture that I'm, like, identifying with, or if that's just a thing that you've sort of ingrained over years of, like, you're not proud to be nice. I think Dana makes a good point. What is white culture? What is black culture? What is Asian culture? What is Latin culture? Really, any cultural characteristic I can think of isn't necessarily tied to race or ethnicity. It's tied more to maybe religious or spiritual beliefs or the social location. But people have more than one identity and so many experiences that shape who we are. So how do we know what our culture is. How do we describe it? What is it attributed to? What piece of our identity is it attributed to? 
I considered my own upbringing as a self-identified Latina and questioned what my culture is based on my upbringing versus my family's historical culture. I was born in Kingsport, Tennessee, a small town where the overwhelming majority of the population was and still is white. I listened to mostly country music and some Spanish music, but I didn't understand it at the time. English was my only language. I spoke it with the Southern, quotation marks, Southern accent and used phrases like up yonder. All of my friends were white and my best friend's birthday party consisted of a limo ride to her house where we played in a giant attic where she had every costume and toy imaginable. My dad and I lived in a small duplex, so this was a fascinating experience for me. Towards the end of kindergarten, my dad and I moved to Richmond, Virginia, to an area where the majority population was black. Here, I listened to hip-hop, R&B, mainstream pop, still a little country, and still a little Spanish music that I didn't understand still. My best friend was black, and her birthday parties consisted of happy meals at their apartment with her family, with her, well, just her immediate family. I felt right at home. In the middle of third grade, we moved all the way across the country to San Bernardino, California, where the majority population was Latinx. We moved in with family members who did not speak English, so this is where I started to learn to speak Spanish and did learn it within a few years. I listened to Spanish pop, Spanish rock, reggaeton, cumbias, banda, other Spanish genres. Still listened to a lot of hip-hop, R&B, pop, rock. A little bit of country was sprinkled in there. My best friend was Latina, and her birthday parties consisted of Catholic church ceremonies and a party where all her family attended. There was usually a mariachi, a DJ, that type of thing. So... Considering all of this and considering conversations that I've had with my guests, I have no idea what pieces of the cultures that I have experienced I can claim as mine. This self-reflection has added another layer of depth in the complexity of cultural appropriation and appreciation. At this point, I want to remind you that my intention in this episode was to understand the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. As I reflect on where we are at this point in the episode, I realize I still have questions about culture I need to address to understand how culture is appropriated and appreciated. Each of my guests expressed uncertainty in knowing or explaining their cultures in some fashion. I don't want to diminish the importance of diving deeper into my understanding of what culture is for the sake of reaching a conclusion in this podcast. Instead, I'm going to reframe the goal of this grappling session. Rather than attempt to understand the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, I'll continue to share perceptions of appropriation and appreciation in the context of understanding culture. Okay, so where do we leave off? Ah, yeah. What is my culture? Luke asked me if I recall what part of Mexico my family came from. I do. And he made this point. Uh, Your culture is where, is the city you just named. That is where you, ultimately, one, you can trace your back to. So I can take it. So, whereas... Uh, 
I don't know who Chris or no, okay, Chase so, No, not we can't we can't do that. This wasn't something I had thought about before. Although my family in particular is fuzzy on family history, I have many friends of European or Latin descent who know their family history dating back over a hundred years. It's incredible. I think it would be extremely difficult for me to trace back that far from my own family, but that's mainly because my family did a poor job of documenting things. There aren't many photos in existence for generations beyond my grandparents, and even those photos and documents for them are very few. Amber made a really powerful statement about how she feels about her lack of knowledge of her culture. We can't even, they can't even begin to appreciate our culture because they don't know what it is, because we don't know what it is, because it has been, it has tried to be erased. I think there is out there somewhere, but it's just, we don't know where to start. And once we start, I think, cause we're both, we both like look into a lot of different things. And I'm just now learning to like read different things and find different books and different authors and things like that. And the more I learn, the more I want to continue to learn because there's so many gaps that have to be filled. So I don't think our culture can be appreciated because it can't be understood because we don't have the knowledge. I don't know what it feels like knowing your ancestors were enslaved because that's not the history I know about my family. But I hear the exasperation in the voices of my guests when they discuss this topic, and their feelings and perspectives are absolutely valid. Previously, we heard a piece from my conversation with Dana in which she expressed not knowing exactly what constitutes as, quote, white culture. I shared my own unknowingness of my culture based on my upbringing, and now we heard from Luke and Amber about being unable to trace their lineage to understand their culture as well. How did we all get to a point where we can't identify exactly what our culture is? None of us have been able to articulate what our culture is. It just is. We live our lives doing what we do based on the cultures we witness or experience. We enact elements of culture that are comfortable and familiar to us or that we enjoy. Elements of culture that are part of the social context in which we exist. And the thing is, with the development of mass communications and social media outlets, our social contexts have become much more broad and complex. I recently saw a video on the social media platform TikTok by a person with the username Lockridge1989 who addresses commenters on their videos questioning why they talk black or act black. The person asserts that they are a product of their environment and asks how they are supposed to talk or act a color. They say they go home to their black family in a black community, and if viewers have an issue with that, they shouldn't watch the videos. Is this person appropriating culture? According to my guess, it seems so. But is this person really appropriating the culture in the negative sense that we think about appropriation? Would cultural appropriation be an issue if mass communications and social media didn't exist? and people just live their lives in the environments in which they reside without worrying about it? Would this person's family or the people in the community believe that this person is appropriating the community's culture? I don't have definite answers to these questions, and I'm not even sure that there are any. All of these questions are examples of why culture and the appropriation and the appreciation thereof are so incredibly complex. What's considered to be appropriate cultural behavior or practice in one physical location, regardless of the color of the person practicing it, might not be in another. The addition of mass communications and social media into this equation 
essentially create a global environment in which nothing is acceptable because so many people think differently and someone will always have an opinion. These questions help me understand that my view of cultural appropriation differs from some of my guests. While I do believe certain behaviors constitute as cultural appropriation, I also believe intent plays a role in enacting cultural appropriation. For example, wearing Native American traditional clothing and running around making noises to make fun of the culture, to me, is appropriation. However, the example of the TikTok person I mentioned before is not something I would consider appropriation. I think back to Amber's post about her family history being taken away and I'm reminded of the existence of white privilege and systemic racism. Throughout history, white people have created environments in which white people are afforded more opportunities than people of color. Meanwhile, people of color have been oppressed for centuries and had to build back their culture based on understandings of how their culture was enacted in the past. Why should white people, on top of all other privileges already afforded to them, also have the privilege to choose to engage in cultural practices of the people they oppress. Perhaps the idea of cultural belongingness we discussed in the beginning of this podcast would be eliminated if systemic racism was dismantled and people of color truly had access to the same opportunities. If that were the case, perhaps people would not have an issue sharing their cultures with one another. Or maybe not. It's hard to say. Although I don't think I've formulated any definite answers for what culture is, and I haven't determined the difference in appropriation and appreciation, I do have a few key takeaways from this episode. One, no matter the background, it can be difficult for people to understand their own culture. However, the reasoning behind why culture is unknown for people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds is very different. Two, I believe culture is a socially constructed phenomenon, much like race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and other labels. And three, concerning my own perspective, I've learned that I believe cultural appropriation is done with negative intentions. I don't believe that if you grow up in an environment where the culture isn't reflective of the culture that generally speaking people would assume you would be a part of, is appropriation. This has been one heck of a grappling session. I hope you've enjoyed your time with my guests and me, and I hope this episode has provided different viewpoints for you to consider about culture, appropriation, and appreciation. Thank you so much for listening in. This podcast series was produced by Paul Eaton assistant professor of educational leadership at Sam Houston State University, in conjunction with doctoral scholars enrolled in Higher Education Leadership 7372, Diversity and Culture in Higher Education, during fall 2020. You can contact Paul Eaton via email at pwe003 at shsu.edu. Content and perspectives presented in this series are intended for educational use. You can download a copy of episode transcripts and show notes at http colon backslash backslash bit.ly backslash anti-racist college. The views and opinions expressed on this program and series are those of the persons appearing on the program 
and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Sam Houston State University. Thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Building the Anti-Racist College and University. Thank you.